Good morning. Glad to see everybody here and the people watching at home today. I know there's a, there's a few in both places, and so I invite you, no matter where you are this morning, to turn with your, in your Bibles to Acts 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 to 47. You're going to be hearing that a lot lately for the next few weeks because this is the launch scripture is not only as this morning as we're still laying some foundations of community, but as we begin to work out the application of community, we will keep coming back to the scripture. So what happens, brothers and sisters, when even people that we respect, even teachers that we respect, don't agree? We're having that if you're not following that in some of the things. Sometimes we don't do that, but even people that may have imparted in your life. What do we do when we're not sure? We come back to the Word. We lay them aside. We open up our Bibles. And so what we're trying to answer the question is, what is the church? And so let's see the church this morning. Stand with me to your feet. Let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh God, my prayer, do it again, God. That mighty work of this Holy Spirit at Pentecost, thousands were saved. What do we see them doing? God, as we have seen the devastation that our friends and our family, our brothers and sisters, and those of North Carolina and South Carolina, that have been devastated. Lord, the coast took the hit. So they were not taking the same hit we would have taken. And they have felt it. So Lord, may your church have the opportunity to be a visible demonstration of this text today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the purpose of Battleground Community Church is to glorify God. Through Christ-exalting worship as we grow together in biblical community while going with the gospel to all peoples. That's our purpose statement. That's why we as battleground that have constituted as as a church is going to exist. This is going to be how we make decisions in the future. And, And so we're trying to lay some foundations for this this morning. Sort of the main thing I want you to see this morning is that a devoted church is a healthy church, which means a church that is not devoted to the right things is unhealthy. A couple of words I want to, I want to beat pretty hard this morning. Priority and loyalty. So if you live around here, there's... There's a couple of things that are non-negotiable. They are priorities in many of our life. If it's true, raise your hand. How many of you have a priority in your life of Jif peanut butter and Duke's mayonnaise? Come on, somebody needs sundrop. I'd probably add that one, but I didn't want to be selfish, you know. Now, now we've compromised a little bit because the budget's not allowing for it right now on the Jif mayonnaise because it's expensive. But Duke's mayonnaise... No, we got to stick with Dukes. Don't bring no Hellmans into the house. You can get kicked out of the family for that. Wrote right out of the wheel. All $2 of it and give it to somebody else. We don't. Here's the question. I'm being funny. Do I have more loyalty to the brand of mayonnaise than which church I attend? What is that Bodie Balkan that says? You can't say amen. You, gotta say, you ought to say ouch. This is true. 
I mean, I wouldn't drink Mellow Yellow if you gave it to me. But you can bless me with some sundrop. But I wonder if when we think about the church, it's more of this preference-driven view of the church. Consumers, materialistic. It affects the way we view not only the church, but it affects the way we view each other because we exist to live in biblical community. And listen, we can't do this this morning without hermeneutics. You can't understand this passage this morning unless you dare to understand the culture that it was given to. So I want us to spend a little extra time this morning. Sermon's going to speed up. Going to speed up, slow down. Going to slow down a little bit right here. I want you to understand the world that the New Testament church existed in. The Mediterranean, this is not just a Jewish thing. This was a Mediterranean culture. It was a culture that was patriarchal. The male passed down the bloodline to his children. So his children were the bloodline. And then the family bloodline was passed down through the males. And so when the father had children, he had siblings, whether it was brother, sister, brother, brother, whatever it was. They were blood. They could get married, but that person that married into that family wasn't blood. You could say, that doesn't sound right. Listen, it doesn't matter what it sounds right. It matters that that's the culture that existed, and we have to understand it. It was the bloodline that demanded the highest priority and the greatest loyalty. If you want to understand this, let me just show you this book right here. I mentioned it last week. When the church was a family. There's a couple copies out there. This does a good job of laying a biblical case for that. Just historical and tying in the words of Jesus. We're going to look at a few of those this morning. I just want you to see, for the sake of time, three principles that were true. And if you don't understand these principles, half most of the text and many of the words of Jesus will just, will just minimize it. We'll just read over it. In the New Testament world, the group took priority over the individual. In the New Testament world, the group took priority over the individual. Now probably most of us don't want to admit we saw it, but we, most of us did. We saw the movie Titanic. Do you see it? We saw a little piece of this when the girl, remember the main girl, the main, she was supposed to marry this rich guy that their families were connected. And she meets the, the little poor guy that was a nobody. And what happens? The, most, the rest of the movie is about this, that romance rules the day. The individual romance. That was what the whole movie was about. You need to understand something. In this world, that was ridiculous. Because the group took priority over the individual. What was best for the family was what was the priority. This is why most marriages were arranged back then. It was the culture. It was their normal. It was the air they breathed. And so in the New Testament world, then you've got to understand that the most important group was blood family. That which came from the patriarchal bloodline. They were the most important group. And that means, brothers and sisters, that the New Testament world, the, the closest bond that existed was the bond of siblings. It was the bond of brothers and sisters. This was the closest. This was how they demonstrated the closest loyalty. Even closer in that culture than marriage. And the greatest disloyalty was to betray one's brother and sister. So, what I want you to do with that is put this over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in a little bit. I hope the kids don't mind I use some of their blocks because I'm a visual person. Most of us, when we were married and have lived most of a life, including right now, have been given this. We are giving three, way, three, three ways that we list our priorities, our loyalties. And this is the way we are explained to live life. Other people, let's put other people as green. They go on the bottom. What goes, what goes next? The church. What goes next? The family. And who's on top? God. Like it or not, let's, 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 let's understand this. 
this is the way pretty much we see how we, how we should make decisions. I would say quite honestly, when God called me to be a teacher and then an elder, this way of viewing life only almost caused me a nervous breakdown. And so we need to understand this. That Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament world, but especially in the church, you need to understand. They only had this. Others, their family, God's family. This is the New Testament church. And unless we understand this this morning, Acts 2 will mean virtually nothing. But when we begin to understand this, and you've got to follow this all the, way, all the way through, as many of us can understand it, I, let me ask you a question. If someone asks you to explain your Christian faith, can you explain it without the church? Can you explain who you are as a Christian and the church never come up in the picture because the New Testament church, the early church, couldn't? When Christ saved us, He brings us into Christ. He brings us into our church. And we can no more explain our Christianity without the church than we can explain it without Christ. It really is truly a blood family thing for the Christians. So back to the question. Come back to this. What is the church? We've seen that it is a redeemed community with a clear purpose. Remember? It's the gospel. Redeemed back to the Father through the blood of Christ. Into the family of God. We are in Christ. We are in His church. Ephesians 2. And we, so we have a clear purpose. 1 Peter 2.9. We looked at that. To proclaim His excellencies. We're in the family for the family business to proclaim the person and work of Christ. We... We looked at last week Jesus' life. Remember, he intentionally evangelized people when he started his ministry. He gathered them together into small groups and he took a life-on-life -life approach to them and then he sent them, he deployed them on mission. I love 1 Peter 2, 21. Speaking about suffering in the context of suffering for doing what is right. He says... Verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Listen to what he's saying. This is important. Leaving you an example. Why? So that you might follow in his steps. This is a critical verse for us as believers, that when we don't know what we should do, when we're not sure, when somebody asks the ask question, why do you do it this way, and we don't know, we go back to the Bible. And here's what we know. Jesus took his followers up to a hill and he charged them with the great commission and he ascended. And what do we see them doing? Acts 1, this brings us back close to our text. Acts 1 verses 6 to 15, we see them receiving this instruction and they go back together into Jerusalem to wait just like Jesus had said. This text shows us that there were some 120 people gathered together in one place. And you remember what happened. The Holy Spirit came, descended on them just like was promised. And then Pentecost came and God's church explodes. So what I want you to see this morning, same way we looked last week, just look, let's just look at the text and let's just look at what we see. Not started application yet. We're going to start that next week. I want you to just see seven priorities of a devoted church. We, you could use the terminology that someone that is healthy has both a healthy diet and a healthy exercise. And so this is the first and foremost is number one. They were devoted to the Word. Devotion brings a new priority and a new loyalty. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, verse 42. So what does devoted mean? Well, first we need to understand that it's present tense. It's active. It means it's happening right now and it's ongoing. But it means to persist, to keep on, to hold fast. It's the, it's the Psalms word steadfast. I love that word in the Bible. Psalms 36. Just look at a couple of, just a couple of places. Psalms 36. It's interesting when you look up the wisdom literature of the Bible. 
The word steadfast, the same picture here as devotion, is 250 times in the wisdom psalms, and almost always it is associated with God's love. Listen to Psalms 36.10. It says, Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. What I want you to see first about this devotion to His Word is it comes from God's devotion to His covenant people. He was devoted to them. It means He was steadfast in His commitment and covenant to them. To love them and to care for them. And Psalms 119.12 shows us then our response when it says, Teach me your statutes. Remember David says that all the way. Teach me your ways. Teach me who you are, God, so I might walk it might follow you. Jesus was devoted to teaching. Remember, we looked at that last week. In the Gospels alone, the word teaching is used 167 times, mostly by Jesus or about Jesus. We looked at it last week. We're not going to go to the text. Matthew 4, Matthew 22, just a couple of places where Jesus is teaching, sometimes to the disciples, sometimes to a larger group of disciples, sometimes to the crowd. But I do want you to see in Acts. Look over to Acts 1. It's not in your notes. Because this is important. Acts 1.1. Luke's telling us. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to what? Tell me what it says. To do and teach. Jesus' ministry was a word ministry, but it was also a deed ministry. Listen, this is important. Jesus' deeds illustrated His words, and His words explained His deeds. They were, they were attached, and you see the apostles doing the same thing. Their miracles served the message, and sometimes we're going to see it in a minute, even set up the message. Matthew 5.16 says, Let people see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father. It was a word. But it was, always, it was also attached to His deeds. But Jesus' disciples followed this same priority. Paul's epistles, 76 times in just Paul's epistles, the word teach or doctrine is used. I want you to see it. It was unstoppable. Excellent. Acts 5, look at verse 17. I'm going to read all of this. I just want you to remind you, this is why you study the Bible. So that you can have a working knowledge of what happens in Scripture. So when you look at it, you remember, oh yeah, I remember this. They're, they're preaching. Their word and deed ministry is in full swing. And just like Jesus, verse 17, the high priest rose up. They put him in prison. Verse 18, what happens? The angels come and tell, let them loose and free them and says, what do they tell them to do? Go back and preach. Where is it? Verse 25, someone says, they go try to find them, they can't find them, they look at it and say, somebody says, you're not going to believe this, but those rascals are back out there in the temple. What are they doing? Preaching. They're teaching. Here's the point. We see it all the way through. They finally get a beating out of it. And they leave in verse 40 and 42, praising the Lord that they were worthy to receive the beating. My point is clear. That teaching was an unstoppable priority based off the loyalty that they had for their Lord Jesus Christ. And the mission that He had given them. Paul speaks of this. Two important passages for us as battleground. Colossians 1.28. Colossians 1.28. Listen to the, how many times everyone is in here. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this toll I struggle with all the energy that is powerfully works within me. A couple of books I want you to, I want to introduce you to this morning, just as we go. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a very thin book and worth reading. Listen to what he says. Remember, we're still talking about the Word. 
Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother, man, as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. He's tying in the priority of God's word in the community of faith. Colossians 3.16 teaches us that. It said, let, verse 16, Colossians 3, verse 16. It said, let the word of Christ, Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving to your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus' disciples' teaching was a priority. But it didn't stop there. I want to slow down on this next one because it says they were not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were devoted, look back to Acts 2.42, they were devoted to the fellowship. This is not as simply as much about what you eat as how you exercise. Fellowship, if you're taking notes, is simply a common way of life. Now, let's be honest. How many people grow up in a church with a fellowship hall? Come here. So somebody talked to me. What would you do in the fellowship hall? Okay, somebody said fellowship. But what does that really mean? We eat. Specifically, we, everybody brought a pot or a dish and we came together. Inevitably, what did that teach us? That fellowship happens at a what? A place. That's not what fellowship in the Bible means. You see, fellowship is simply a common way of life. A weaving together of of lives with other people. Jesus modeled this by the way He taught Now we're going to get into our application. But I hope you're beginning to see why we do what we do. There is a foundation of our fellowship, and I'm going to keep going back to it because we need to. Our foundation is found in 1 John 1.3. This has both of us. The Trinity and His his church. 1 John 1.3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with who? Talk to me. The Father and with His Son. 1 Corinthians 1.9, the same thing. We have fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, this common way of life is a commonality that's foundationally rooted in our common way of life with the Lord Jesus Christ. He set an example for us, and we walk by His example because we are one with Him. And this makes an exclusive nature of our fellowship. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what partnership? That's fellowship. That's the same word. For what partnership, what fellowship, what common way of life has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what common way of life has light with darkness? The answer is it doesn't. And there's many people who could stand up and bear witness that when you try to have a common way of life with an unbeliever, it will blow up in your face because God gives fellowship. It is a gift of His grace. We get to have fellowship. We don't have to. We get to. It is a privilege. And if you try to have it with an unbelieving spouse, when you get married and violate Scripture, you will find that fellowship will elude you because they do not have fellowship with Jesus. Partner in your business and it will blow up in your face. 
God's Word tells us this because He loves us. We have fellowship with those that are joined with Christ. There is an exclusive nature to the fellowship of the church. There's a priority to it as well. This is real communion. This is real devotion with actual people in an actual community. We know these passages. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I loved you, so love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Ephesians 4, verse 2. It says, you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. But it looks, this fellowship looks like something. It doesn't just look like a building and a place that we gather. Verse 32, Acts 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See, you're going back to the foundation, even in the way we live. 1 John 4, 7 and 12 says this, If you do not have fellowship and you do not prioritize fellowship in your life with the church, you have need to wonder if you're even saved. It's one of the tests that 1 John gives us to know that we know. So what does this look like? What's the outflow of it? Martin Lowell Jones wrestling with this, wrote this, it's on the screen, talking about the word fellowship. So what does it mean? Well, I've looked up the word, I wish I could speak with his accent. Have you ever listened to him? Oh, he talks awesome. He doesn't talk like me. (laughs) What does it mean? It means a deep association, a true communion. It is not just meeting occasionally in church buildings, shaking hands at the end of the service, or meeting and going home. This is Not a church. No fellowship is involved in that. True fellowship is never anything superficial. It is deep. It is vital. It becomes the main thing of life. When people become Christians, they become one. They enter into this community. They are in a family together. They are united by certain bonds that are indissoluble. So... Let's pick our context back up. Look back up in your notes there to the beginning. Look at the three principles of community. I'm going to read a passage for you. It's Jesus, Matthew 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So let me give you an example. This is happening. This is probably happening right now. A Muslim, let's call him a man, converts to follow Christ. He knows something when he does that, by the way. He knows something. Most likely, this very well, a real possibility that following Christ may cost him his life. But here's what he can count on it costing him. They will take his wife away and his children and they will burn his house to the ground and he will be left with nothing but Christ. What promise can I as a follower of Christ give him? I can give him Matthew 19, you see. Because when you become Christ, you get His church. And when you get His church, you get all His brothers and sisters. And you get all the resources they have. Because you get Christ, you get them. I can give him a promise to say, you get God's family and it is eternal. It will never be taken away. You see, until you get this, brothers and sisters... You don't get Acts 2. And if you get this this morning because the Muslim man would get it, then you understand for the first time in your life that Acts 2, 42 to 47 means exactly what it says when he says our brother's problems are our problems. His gifts are our gifts. He is our family. He is our brother and sister in Christ connected to us by the bloodline of the family through Jesus Christ. It's good news this morning. That deserved an amen. Thank you. Somebody. Maybe somebody watching at home amen me. 
But this looks like something, brothers and sisters. I want you to see it. I'm, not, I'm just telling you what's here. This looks like radical generosity when fellowship happens. Look at verses 44 to 45. Back to Acts 2. Look at this. This is good. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all who, any who had need. Do you see it? This is the outworking of fellowship. It's the extravagant mercy and grace to those that are in the family. Acts 4.32 teaches us the same thing. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So is this communism? You see, when someone says something like that, part of it is like, I, I don't even know, is that what the Bible means by don't throw your pearls before the pigs, you know? You're sitting there going, but no, sometimes people just don't understand the context. This is not communism. This is family. It's brothers and sisters. It's what we do. Somebody don't have to tell me to be generous to Tony. He's my brother. His power's out today. It's my problem. You know how many people checked on me yesterday? A lot. Why? Because we're family. We're worried about each other. They weren't abandoning owning property. They weren't. They were looking at their brother and sister in need and say, I got this piece of property. I can sell it so that I can meet the needs of my family. Just fellowship. They were all together and they were one heart, one soul. They were radically generous because they lived life together. They had a shared life. Look at verse 44. Back to Acts 2. Verse 44. And all who believed were together. Look at verse 46. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together. Interesting. You see the word attending right there? It's the same word as devotion. It helps this text make sense. And every day, they were devoted to gathering to God's house together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. So let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together. Our lives are, are part of an ever closer weaving connectedness into the fellowship centered around Christ and His Word, and only it gets closer and takes us right into eternity. And here's what the other thing I wanted you to see. Look at verse 47. It was an attractive faith. Fellowship, the Word, and the fellowship is an attractive faith. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now flip over with me to Acts 5. Remember, we looked at that context a little bit. It, it tells us, look at verse 13. Let me back up to verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of, none of the rest dared join, join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord the multitudes of both men and women. This fellowship, this sharing of a common life together, this radical generosity is attractive. Let me show you another really... They have a lot of these. This is called Christ-centered exposition. Most of them they have by book by book. It's very... Very helpful. This is quote, quoting Aristides, that was a Christian. He was writing to a pagan emperor, and this was in AD 125. Listen to what he says, speaking of Christians. If one or 
other of them have bondmen or bondwomen or children. Through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they, are, they call them brethren without distinction. They do not worship strange gods. And they go their way with all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood has, is not found among them. And they love one another. And from widows do, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call the brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the Spirit and in God. And whenever one of the poor passes from the world, each of them according to their ability gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is in prison or afflicted on account of the name of the Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to him his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is any among them that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the, to the needy their lack of food. This was the church. Sister church. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the ordinances. I have no problem substituting ordinances with sacraments right there. As long as we understand that these in no way bring salvation to us. They are simply pictures of what we look to. They're testimonies. And most likely here this See then back to Acts 2.42, the, the breaking of bread is speaking of the Lord's Supper, speaking of communion, which was oftentimes in that culture enjoyed with a meal. Remember the Passover? I want you to see something very interesting. You've already, we're going to see it again in a minute. You've already seen that they were worshiping in the temple, but look, look with me at Acts 20, verse 7. Something changes here. Verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intended to depart on the next day, but, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. This gives me, gives me the privilege, the biblical warrant, to be long-winded. Paul was. But here's what happened. At some point in this history, as, church, as, as the church began to grow, and as the Gentiles began to be brought in, persecution began to happen. They separated from worshiping in the temple. And we see them worshiping on the first day of the week. A Sunday, that's why we gather on Sunday, celebrating the resurrection. And it seems, from what we can see here, that weekly communion was part of their regular worship. It wasn't done once a quarter. It was prominent in the, in the life of the church. It's what I'm just seeing when I'm, when I'm reading and looking at history. It's what we see. This reflects, brothers and sisters, a Christ-centered nature in this new community. They worshipped on the resurrection day. And when they gathered, they remembered the blood of Christ that brought them into Christ in the church. This was their regular way they worshipped. You see, the word preaches to the ear about Jesus. The Lord's table in baptism preaches to the eye about Him. One looking at the blood, the other looking at the resurrection. All bringing us one in Christ and one into His church. They did it for a reason. They were devoted to the sacraments. They were devoted to prayer. Prayer, I looked it up. You could tell I did this a lot this week. Just curious to how many times these words are used. Prayer in the New Testament alone, 155 times. It's just absolutely everywhere. It's like, what do you pick? It says they were devoted to it. Here's what I saw just when I surveyed the New Testament. They prayed together corporately. They also prayed without ceasing individually. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in their homes. They prayed as they walked. They prayed as they entered the house of sick people. They prayed before sermons, after sermons, during persecution, after persecution, for their food, while singing, for their daily meats. They prayed all the time. It was their priority. 
Jesus prioritized prayer in his life. Remember the time the demon wouldn't come out and the disciples couldn't do it? You remember what he said? Mark 9, 29. This one only comes out through prayer. Hmm. Seems to be prayer is powerful and effective and mighty when he's working. I think I read that somewhere. Luke 6, 12 said Jesus prayed all night before he chose the disciples. It was a priority in his life. It was a priority in the apostles' life. Acts 6. You remember this? The church is exploding, which means problems and needs are exploding. Acts 6, 4. The apostles said it's, it's not right that we should neglect what? What were they neglecting? Somebody talk to me. That's prayer. Prayer in the Word. It's not good for us to neglect those things. That's why the prototype of the first deacon was started. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer. Remember when Peter was in prison? Acts 12, 5 said the church devoted themselves to prayer. And he was freed, by the way. Funny story along with that. Romans 12, 12 said we're to be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2 said, uses the same word, steadfast in prayer. James 5, 13 is interesting. Going to have to keep moving. Said if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and pray over you. A healthy church is a praying church. But they were also devoted to large and small groups. Look at verse 46. It says, day by day, back to Acts 2, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So there was two primary contexts initially for the, for the word, the fellowship, and the breaking bread and the prayers. It was both corporate and it was individual. It was the temple and it was house to house. And even when the temple moved somewhere else where they were gathered together, where then mostly that was in a home, the point is this. They had both formal and informal times. They had corporate worship and they had times where they gathered together. In small groups, more informal, more intimate. And not only that, number six, they were devoted to praising God together. We're going to look at this next week. I just wanted you to see in Acts 2, two characteristics of this worship. First is in Acts 2, verse 43, and it says, And all came upon every soul. This bled out into the world, but amongst God's people... There is a reverence, there is an awe, there is a heavy weight and the fear of God amongst His community of who He is and what He's done and what they deserved and the lost world around them. There was awe when they come into the presence of God and their life was a worship. Verse 46, they had joyful hearts. This awe and this joy only intensified its persecution. Didn't diminish it. And lastly, they were devoted to evangelism. I know I'm running a little long today. Give me a couple more minutes. This is important. They evangelized locally. If we go back to Acts 3, we see that it is the healing ministries, it is the deed ministries that led to the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. This is why we do deed ministries around us, because it gives us an opportunity to speak the word. But listen, it also brings persecution because Acts 3 followed by Acts 4 and 5, we see that persecution comes. Acts 5, they still remain faithful. As a matter of fact, when they were persecuted, they used their persecution, their, their stake that they were being offered on or their stones that were going to be thrown at them as an opportunity to do what? To proclaim the gospel. Remember Stephen, Acts 7? Used the opportunity he had. It was going to cost him his life to proclaim the history, redemptive history and the gospel. Didn't stop there. I want you to see this. This is, they evangelized globally. Acts 8. Look at verse 1. This is going to be Paul. Now he saw. And Saul approved of his execution, that of Stephen. And there arose on a great day persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now look down at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about what? What does it say? Preaching the word. 
So the apostles were still in Jerusalem. God's people were being persecuted. And what did begin to happen? The Great Commission began to happen. As they were scattered, they went about doing exactly what Jesus did. Preaching the Word, gathering people together. Acts 8, 5, Philip goes and evangelizes Samaria. By the way, they were half-breeds. Then in verse 26, he evangelizes the Ethiopian eunuch. In chapter 9, Paul is saved. He, they begin immediately, chapter 10, the gent, first Gentile begins to hear the gospel. In Acts 13, the mission of God spreads when they set out Paul and Barnabas. And he goes out and they begin to evangelize and plant churches. Brothers and sisters, this is simply what church is supposed to look like. Right here in Acts. The truth is this morning, we are constituted as Battleground Community Church because Parkwood understood its purpose. And I pray that we will carry on that legacy. The question this morning is how are we going to display our common devotion? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters grace I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic on which it stands one nation under God let me ask you something all of us pledge that I hope what if one day they remove under God out of that they just might for a Christian it makes no difference you see because our allegiance and our loyalty is to Christ and His church first. And it doesn't really matter whether Nero's the king or Obama's the king or Trump's the king. Our allegiance and our priority is to Jesus Christ and His church. And listen, this is the point this morning because some of you may still be struggling with this. All through history, here's what we know. When you stack the blocks up this way, your family is healthier, your marriages is healthier, this country is healthier. When we go into preference-driven church and a preference-driven society, we will turn on each other and separate. God has told us where our allegiance lies. And so I'm going to close us with God's Word this morning as you think that I'm making this up because, brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with just a heavy word as we begin the application. This comes with a cost, and I'm not pulling the cost away from you. matter of fact, I want us to close with this. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters... Yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when we, we have laid a foundation and it is not able to finish it, people will see and mock him, saying, this man began a tower he was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter Another king in war will not sit and first deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet those who come with 20,000. If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends off a delegation and asks his terms of peace. Verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I didn't say that. Christ did. Christ offers us and gives us salvation as a free gift, but it will cost you your life. Our allegiance goes first to Christ. And when we give it to Christ, we give it to His church. You see what He's saying here? It's not supposed to be explained away by preachers. 
to say, he's just telling you you should love your family less. No, what he's saying, brothers and sisters, is a total transference of allegiance to this, to him. And if you're not willing to do it, he tells us right here, then you cannot be his disciple. This is an allegiance and a loyalty and a priority and a sacrifice. And it is the secret to our greatest joy, our healthiest marriage, and our happiest life now because we give our lives for the sake of Christ and to his people for his glory on a mission that he has given us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the endurance of our people this morning as I have preached longer than I would have was planning on it, Lord. This is so important. Oh, God, I thank you for your word. Though we study it for the next hundred years, yet we can open it and it is like reading it for the first time. But you tell us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Everything else you give us. Oh God, give us the faith to trust you, to understand the truth of this and be changed by it. By the way we love you and are devoted to you and are devoted to your precious, blood-bought, adopted children. It's quite an overwhelming thing, God. To think that the King of Kings is my brother. And that we serve a great cause that is worth everything you have called us to lay down so that we might know you. Lord, Receive our worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. The only thing I want in life Is to be known for loving Christ To build His church to love His bride And make His name known far and wide for this cause I live, for this cause I die, I surrender all for the cause of Christ. All I want to do, I will
We'll nominate deacons. We'll have deacon nominations. They'll probably be out on your seats. Um, so be just be praying about that. Look up First Timothy, read the qualifications, and be ready to, to do that next week. Uh, one of the things that, that we do as a church and as a family, if we have needs, we present those needs uh, to you, and then we also ask the Lord to meet those needs. And so one of those needs that we have right now, we have some brothers and sisters that, that prepare the building. They're on our service team, and um, nobody knows what they do. Most of us don't even know who they are. They just show up at the end of the week and, and have always had the building cleaned and ready. They need some help. Uh, so they need some people to come alongside and help them towards the end of the week. And there's, the schedule is flexible about when that needs to be done, but it needs to be done at the end of the week and prepare this place, our, our building for Sunday. So if, if that's something that you, that you would love to be a part of and help, uh, Tony's our chairman of the deacons. Just see him or send. She's in charge of everything. She she keeps us from forgetting what we what we would normally forget otherwise. So you give or tell me it's Ricky. Don't don't tell me. And uh and uh so we love you. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for this. Let's be aware, brothers and sisters, as we go home. Who around you that may be hurting? Let us have an attractive faith. So, Lord, I want to be honest with you, Lord, because there's not as many people here as normal. And, uh, Lord, we have the operating work of the church that has to happen. And so, Lord, forgive me for my lack of faith. And I lay that before you, Lord, would you, though, this Sunday has been affected by the weather. Lord, would you provide for us through your people? Those that were watching, Lord, would you would you help them give online so the Lord that we won't have such a shortfall this week? And Lord, we come to you, lay that before you. We lay before, we thank you. Lord, for these people that for years just show up on Thursday or Friday and love you and glorify you keeping this place clean and straight and organized and ready for worship and kids ministry and all these things and so Lord just thank you they're your children they're our family and yet Lord they're tired they need to help and so Lord burden your people those that you have given the gift of service to exercise their gift for your glory Lord whether it is the gift of giving or the gift of serving or the gift of teaching Lord my prayer is that whatever they, they are, that we would use everything that you give us for the glory of your name this week. Lord, I pray for those that are suffering. May your church rally around them in the days to come so that you may be glorified and their gospel may be proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen.